Greetings all you wonderful listeners out there, both near and far. This is a tall poppy chiming back in. Today is Tuesday the 19th of May in the Lord's Year 2020. I hope you are all starting to take this tall poppy's messages personally. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Let me just state for the record, when someone tries to treat me like a fool, you can bet your bottom dollar I take it personally especially if that treatment is any way degrading or demeaning. I am well aware the information I am presenting on this channel is currently being labelled hate speech, even forbid. But while the going's good, I intend to keep firing my ammo. I would like to dedicate the first part of this episode 15 to explaining a new approach I am going to take regarding the format of these podcasts. I am realising the easiest way for me to utilise this platform is to set up nominated episodes dedicated to covering certain subjects that I consider to be of critical value in these fast-changing times. These will include headings like Eyes to the Sky, The Global Warming Hoax, File 13, and Made in China, to name a few. I will set each topic up by recording an overview of why I consider this subject matter of high importance, including other relevant details, and generally hope to achieve a more dynamic and comprehensive viewing platform. Some of these subjects may be two-way out for many people, and that's to be expected. Some topics might offend others. Either way, I am prepared to take a punt right now, largely because, collectively, we are going to be told about a lot of this information anyway, but instead you will be hearing it from a new international media source. So I am hedging my bets, shall we say. Now might be a good time to go back and listen to the tall poppy disclaimer. I make no apology for providing information, beg your pardon, for providing informative, robust information, that is helping to bring the worst forms of abuse and crimes against humanity on this planet to an end. Like I said in episode one, you won't need a university degree to understand this information, but you will need a conscience. So without further ado, let me share how I am planning on structuring this platform to start with. The United Nations definitely deserve their own dedicated site, shall we say. This will mean all future references to this organisation will be linked onto their respective episode number for listeners' further research. From now on, this will allow me to link only the most positive and constructive data relative to each new episode. Operating this way will be less cluttered and offers a more coherent and dynamic viewing platform as we navigate our way through the labyrinth of smoke and mirrors. As Einstein himself declared, the problems in the world today will not be solved by the level of thinking that created them. It is time to think in a new way, with new ideas, but actually it's just the old way that we forgot about. Once I have set up I have set these up, I will it'll help material to flow and be more satisfying for this tall poppy from a productivity point of view. So please look forward to that. My advice is to treat this subject matter like music, 
listen to what pleases you, but don't write the musician off just because one song doesn't resonate with you. Discrimination is one of the greatest enemies in our midst and is as rampant as a rabid dog at this moment in time. People need to mind more of their own business instead of others. There was plenty of mopping up to do in our own backyards, going by the sad state of global domestic abuse statistics. I encourage my Daring Poppy listeners to practice a live and let live approach to life, except when it comes to child abuse. Moving on with an intention of closure, I would like to devote the next aspect of this podcast to reviewing episodes 10 and 13, which compared the legacy of our New Zealand suffragettes with the legacies of our three female Prime Ministers. Hence I am giving this 15th podcast the title, One for the Road. The takeaway for me is, the platform of moral reform gained through women's voting rights got well and truly co-opted by the United Nations playbook. That wheeled in a Trojan horse the minute they realised they had a fight on their hands here in Aotearoa. This warped version of women's rights was paraded as second-wave feminism. This globalist agenda has steered the women's rights movement as a whole in a perverse direction, particularly since the early 1970s. From the 20th century on, instead of women embracing the historical hard-earned achievements of the 19th century suffragette battles, fought essentially to restore honour, reverence and peace in the home, we got served with an unrealistic version of domesticity that represented the value sorry, that misrepresented the value of full-time mothering and instead fostered confusion, domestic violence and misery. This tall poppy is proposing New Zealand's three female Prime Ministers surfaced from within the globalist's Trojan horse. Hopefully listeners have taken the time since the last episode to investigate the history of Ms Magazine. This editorial platform is a prime example of the Marxist agenda in a stylized form. The way I read it, this explains how a new feminist ideology emerged that muddied the waters of womanhood and mothering, instead creating what I refer to as an identity crisis. Not just for women, but men and children too, creating an all-out war of the genders. To hammer this point home, let's refer back to the prologue I read out in episode 2 from Alan Gawley's 1986 book, Assault on Childhood. Alan stresses the reason this United Nations program could be brought to its present stage of success can be no other than that influential leaders have persuaded us and sold us out in the gullible expectation that they will be granted partnership in the supreme elite. These leaders and politicians are the useful idiots mentioned in communist literature. This tall poppy is proposing New Zealand's three female prime ministers surfaced from within that UNESCO Trojan horse, as I call it. So let us now round off episode 
10 and 13's examination of the women's movement in New Zealand. By now my listeners should be well informed as to the nefarious control the liquor industry has had over our precious nation from the time of colonisation. Let me state for the record, in New Zealand's short history, the binge drinking culture never subsided and neither did domestic domestic violence. It merely took on a more glamorised facade, morphing into a more malevolent form of abuse, especially once our youth were exposed to the demon drink, bridled with a set of car keys in hand. To set this stage, I will follow through with my promise and read Prime Minister Jenny Shipley's troubling statement from the Beehive Archives endorsing the lowering of the drinking age in 1999. Dated the 31st of May and headed, Prime Minister backs lowering drinking age with conditions. New Zealand 18 and 19 year olds should be trusted to drink alcohol in pubs and cafes. New Zealand must achieve a a change in drinking culture. More effective enforcement and much stronger penalties for liquor licence holders will be necessary, Prime Minister Jenny Shipley said tonight. I personally support lowering the drinking age from 20 to 18 years with two conditions. That photo identification is used for proof of age and much stronger penalties are introduced such as the the removal of liquor licences from hosts who sell alcohol to underage drinkers. New Zealand must achieve a change in our attitude to alcohol consumption with a move towards responsible and moderate drinking. Binge drinking at booze barns is a thing of the past. We now have a very sophisticated and exciting cafe culture that is enjoyed by families and individuals throughout New Zealand. If we are to achieve this, we must be realistic and face up to the fact that 18 and 19 year olds are drinking. They must be encouraged to drink safely. This change can be brought about by successful education campaigns like those of the Alcohol Liquor Advisory Council. We need to keep the pressure up to ensure society maintains a responsible attitude towards alcohol. Families must also take much more responsibility in controlling the access to alcohol by their young people. Parents must also share the responsibility of knowing where their young people are in the early hours of the morning. The time is right for change. We have a new high integrity identification system in the new driver's licences, which means people can't easily lie about their age. Bar operators should now be able to verify the age of drinkers with more confidence, she said. Mrs Shipley outlined her personal views on liquor laws to about 500 secondary students at a youth forum in Christchurch this evening. Parliament is currently considering the Sale of Liquor Amendment Bill, which proposes lowering the drinking age, which will be a conscience issue for MPs. Mrs Shipley stressed that simply changing a law was not the only answer. 
For example, we have introduced tougher measures to combat drink driving, but these have only worked because of a change in the mindset of society. I am confident this attitude will be picked up by 18 and 19-year-olds as we recognise their rights as adults. While I know there are some who argue for no change, they do nothing to achieve an, an improved or more realistic approach to the consumption or supply of alcohol. We must do so based on strong values of personal responsibility and a confidence in the type of society we are able to develop into. We have an opportunity to challenge our society's attitudes to drinking. Let's not waste it, Mrs. Mrs. Shipley said. This Prime Minister's grandiose attitude towards a more mature drinking culture was utter nonsense. Let me examine where her head was at. Shipley advises New Zealanders, we must be realistic and face up to a few facts. Binge drinking at booze barns is a thing of the past because we now have a very sophisticated and exciting cafe culture. Kiwis must achieve a change in their attitude to alcohol consumption. We must encourage teenagers to drink safely. 18 and 19 year olds should be trusted to drink alcohol in pubs and cafes as we recognise their rights as adults. We need to keep the pressure up to ensure society maintains a responsible attitude towards alcohol. And families must take more responsibility in controlling access to alcohol. In closing, Shipley informs us the time is right for change. She proposed this more realistic approach to the supply and consumption of liquor was an opportunity to challenge our society's attitudes based on strong values of personal responsibility and confidence in the type of society we are able to develop into. Let me say, this national government's change of legislation was utterly negligent and irresponsible. Jenny Shipley has the nerve to tell Kiwi parents we must take on more responsibility. Never mind the fact that New Zealand's binge drinking rugby culture was already well and truly entrenched in our society. And suddenly with the wave of her wand, everyone is going to grow up and behave in some new, fandangled, sophisticated way. Get real. The stronger enforcement and penalties the Prime Minister speaks of in her statement, including photo ID driver's licences, was all part of the bigger globalist plan to do with surveillance and revenue collecting through drink driving offences and car impoundment, etc. Don't forget, this law change in 1999 meant 18 and 19-year-old university students could now hit the pubs while away studying for their degrees. That alone was going to make it very difficult for parents to know where their young people were in the early hours of the morning. Mixing alcohol during tertiary education gave birth to a whole new culture of binge drinking in Aotearoa. You could safely say a huge portion of uni student loans also would have begun to be pissed up against the wall, as they say. On a side note, 
In another Beehive statement, just one month earlier, during April 1999, when Ginny Shipley announced the launch of Accident Compensation Corporation-sponsored booze buses ready to roll out across the country, stating, her government is determined to maintain the pressure on drink driving and reinforce the message that it is unacceptable. She went on to say, both, a both the ACC and police are committed to getting the road toll down and they've put their money where their mouth is. She is proud that government agencies are working together this way. Shipley closed by stating, the national government is proud of their progress in lowering the road toll. Let that all sink in a moment, listeners. Have you ever heard such doublespeak in all your life? The alcohol our youth got peddled by the liquor industry back then wasn't only beer and wine. Top-shelf pre-mixed spirits became the new norm. I hope the timeline I am exposing here is setting alarm bells off for all you listeners out there. Factor in the pervading sex cult I have explained at great length in my e earlier episodes, and the master plan really begins to rear its ugly head. People need to feel the far-reaching impact of this new youth binge drinking culture and the impact it had on our sweet nation. The broken lives, sexual abuse, domestic violence, the nightmare this placed on emergency services and healthcare agencies, the impact on our environment through smashed bottles and violent partying animals. The, the responsible drinkers of New Zealand soon had their rights infringed because of this wave, wave of youth binge drinking. New laws needed to be enacted restricting the consumption of alcohol in public places, i.e. recreational picnics and barbecues. All of this spells an erosion of decent people's human rights, if you ask me. Then, with the change of the party baton in 1999, we have Helen to the rescue. Not. You see, Prime Minister Jenny Shipley altered liquor laws to set up the destabilisation of our nation's youth. Next, it was Helen Clark's job to continue the cultural erosion by disenfranchising maternity services and early childhood support, thereby cementing the war on traditional values. Just for prosperity, let me reiterate New Zealand's top current affairs journalist, Linda Clark's words of warning in the 2006 New Zealand Listener interview from episode 13. Given Linda's personal experience as a modern working mum, she proclaims, no parent who has their child in dawn-to-dusk childcare would ever recommend it for anybody. Don't forget, her criticism was directly aimed at Helen Clark's prime ministerial leadership. It is also noteworthy to briefly remind listeners out there, New Zealand's anti-smacking law came into effect in June 2007, while Clark was in power. Incidentally, over the last 13 years, this law has failed to reduce the rates of child abuse in Aotearoa. Upon exiting from New Zealand politics in 2008, 
after Nationals John Key won the election, Helen Clark pursued a career with the United Nations Development Programme from 2009 until 2017. No surprises there. Okay, so rounding off this historical account of New Zealand's women's movement and the expose on our nation's unholy alliance, our three female prime ministers, we have what I'm calling the setup by Jenny Shipley. We have the cement poured by Helen Clark. And finally, we have the freedom of rights kill shot executed by Jacinda Ardern. If any listeners need further clarification regarding this adversary waging war on our home front, please go back and listen or re-listen to the full prologue I read out from the book Assault on Childhood in Episode 2. This tall poppy is not prepared to sit by and watch another stitch of the, of the suffragettes' work be undone. This playbook I keep talking about specialises in manipulation. Manipulation orchestrated through the old divide-and-conquer tactic. The ultimate goal is to have everyone confused, mentally and emotionally impaired, and fighting amongst themselves. One thing is for sure, New Zealanders became way too trusting in the belief that we could trust our leaders. Political representation in Aotearoa has led our nation and her people way, way off track. It is my hope, while the going's good, and there are still enough people that remember the true meaning of freedom, we can link together and restore some common decency. Let me assure you, brothers and sisters all around the world are waking up to this global takeover and waiting for New Zealanders to join in and wake up too. I am confident Daring Poppy listeners will continue to be inspired by the alternative narrative I am offering on this channel and pass this inspiration on to others. A constructive benchmark and challenge to measure yourselves by and those around you is the world is made up of three types of people. Those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who say, how did that happen? Now would be a good time to figure out what category you fall into. In closing, I have chosen a variety of my favourite links to, cover, to colour up the landscape of today's podcast. The song I am choosing to accompany today's message is Venus by another homegrown Kiwi band, The Feelers. I've had the privilege of seeing this group perform live on two occasions and they absolutely ooze talent. My warm thanks goes out to all those who support the work on the Steering Poppy channel. Let's all keep doing our little bit to contribute to the Great Awakening and I look forward to seeing you all on the other side. This is a tall poppy signing off for now.